This is Top Landing Gear. And welcome to a brand new aviation podcast, Top Landing Gear. We'll be bringing you interviews with some of the biggest names and characters in aviation. We'll be doing outside broadcasts from the UK's major air shows and aviation events. We'll have access all areas to take you behind the scenes with the crews, the pilots and the people involved with some of the most exciting aircraft ever to have flown, from the Lancaster to the Typhoon. I'm Rob Curling, a former BBC television presenter and your podcast host. And with me will be James Cartner, a hugely experienced pilot who's flown anything from the 777 to the Hawk and the Puma. We've got the pop superstar and private pilot's license hopeful, Roy Stride from Scouting for Girls. And someone who's going to be our historian, our statistician, uh, who's also flown a Spitfire and just happens to be my younger brother, Jeremy Curling. This is Top Landing Gear. Hello and welcome to Top Landing Gear. And we'll start with a huge thank you to all those people who've propelled us to the top of the aviation podcast charts in our very first week. Our pilot episode was all about Concorde and featured BA Concorde captain John Hutchinson and seemed to really appeal to everyone. So if you're new to us, welcome. And if you'd like to hear that episode, it's still available, of course, along with the full extended interview with Hutch in our full flaps edition. And if you're listening to us again, thank you for your loyalty. Now, today we'll be featuring another icon of the skies, the Spitfire, and we'll get onto that a little bit later. But first, let's just introduce ourselves again. I'm Rob Curling, a television presenter. I've done all sorts of things, including a quiz show on the BBC called Turnabout. I've also done quite a lot of air shows on the telly as well, including a programme all about the Spitfire, which, of course, meant flying in one. Twice. And I'm Jez Curling, a fencing contractor, and therefore, of course, ideally placed to be a presenter on an aviation podcast. <laughs> Unlike my brother, I have actually flown, that's flown, a Spitfire. As this podcast is <laughs> my idea, we had to find something for me to do on it, and for some reason the boys made me the pot historian and statistician. I've got a terrible memory and can't count, so stand by <laughs> for some top aviation facts that are hopefully fascinating, but probably desperately wider than Mark. <laughs> my name's James Connor. I'm the only pilot on the show, and hence the expert, which really doesn't hold out much hope for the rest of this podcast. No. Nope. <laughs> I flew in the RAF, where my nickname was Jim, and operationally flew helicopters before moving on to big fat airliners. Quite fitting, really. <laughs> I'm I'm Roy. Uh, I'm from the band Scouting for Girls. I'm a massive uh, aviation history fan. I'm one hour into... Uh, getting my private pilot's license. Uh, and I'm mainly here in the role of producer because these guys, as clever as they are, don't know one end of a microphone. 
great. Thank you, Roy. Thank you, chaps. And thank you, listeners. That is the Top Landing Gear team. Now, in this episode, we'll be hearing from the chief Spitfire pilot at the Boltby Academy, Jim Schofield. And not just about the Spitfire. He's flown more than 100 types. Uh, We'll be hearing about Jez's experience flying with Jim in a Spitfire. And we've got some quick spit facts. And later in the show, we'll have a quiz. Now, we'll come on to the Spitfire in a moment, but let's just start with what is going to be a regular feature on Top Landing Gear, Ask James. Now, this is your chance and ours to ask our expert pilots anything you like. And we've had a few questions in for you, Jim, already. Roy, I think you've got one or two there, haven't you? Yes, indeed. We received our first ever email from a listener uh, at info at toplandinggear.com. So if you want to ask James a question, just get in contact on that email address or on any of the socials and we will pick that up. Uh, and thank you for go on. Thank you for everybody's amazing feedback, especially on iTunes. All the ratings and reviews have been brilliant. So uh Let's go to our first ever question to ask James. It is from Eileen Strong, and she asks, uh, what are the biggest public misconceptions about flying a plane in particular? There seems to be a widespread belief that pilots don't do much between takeoff and landing. So I think her question is, James, what exactly do you do? That's exactly what my wife often asks as well, <laughs> uh, around the house and at work. Uh, so... Uh, but. Despite the fact they are highly automated, we still have the basic skill set of being able to, to fly an aeroplane. Uh, from early training all the way through to your regular sim checks, you're still flying the aeroplane manually. Um, so we can always go back to that. But basically, we just make sure that the aircraft is going in the right place. One of us will fly the aircraft and point it, climb it, uh, follow the route, while the other pilot is the monitoring pilot, and they will liaise with air traffic control, monitor the other pilot, make sure he's not making any mistakes, and then come together if there's any emergencies or technical issues that need to be discussed does that need more <laughs> boys boys roy jess come on we're in. all here we're all here we're just we're just stunned by the actual lack of effort he has to make on any given flight i thought he was <laughs> i thought is that hit? i thought i was gonna be really impressed by that but literally nothing <laughs> Do you know what? This was actually the feature that got me really excited about this whole idea as a podcast. <laughs> uh, the fact that we can let anybody email in and ask James a question. Because I think all jokes aside, the three of us are, are super proud of James's mm. career, maybe a little bit envious. You know, the fact you've, you know, you've flown fast jets, you've flown in combat, you know, and you now fly all over the world. Uh, and I have literally tons of questions, but I want to start with this one uh, just because somebody mentioned it to me last week and I can't believe I'd never heard of it before. But they told me there's some sort of secret room on some of the larger airliners, which has got beds for the pilot and the crew and like comfy chairs, lazy boys, TV screens. Oh, and I was like, yes. that's not a real thing. So on um, some long, nearly all long haul airplanes, uh, there is a thing called the bunk. What? Where uh, the pilots can go and have a little rest. Amazing. Uh, so normally if, if it's a, a normal European flight, and they're in back, you have two pilots, they stay in the flight deck the whole way. But uh, on some <laughs> long haul flights, you might have three or even four pilots. And at some stage, one of those pilots will go and have a bit of a rest. So they'll go to the bunk, which can be anything from a, a double-decker bed behind the flight deck That's to amazing. a big room over the first class in, in some aircraft like the 777. A, a big well, room? What, like, as in it's got a number of bunks? <laughs> it has two beds side by side and a couple of chairs and TV screens and a little area to, to, to relax. This is in the roof of, of, of the a 777? Of a 777, yeah. So... Uh, 
Wow. It sounds like a, like a tour bus. <laughs> <laughs> so the pilots can go there and uh, have a sleep. So that means that then they're re- refreshed. Then another pilot can go have his sleep while the, the first pilot goes and operates the aircraft. And then all three do that. So by the time you're carrying out the approach and landing, uh, all the pilots are alert and awake and, uh, and in the best form to, to fly the aircraft. James, is it really important that all three pilots aren't resting at the same time? I think <laughs> that most most companies have something in their rules which limits it to fewer than three. Uh, there's some, I think there's something in the air navigation order that one pilot has to be in the flight deck for some reason. I can't remember what it is. Uh, yes. <laughs> I think we'll all find that quite reassuring. <laughs> yes. That's, that's good. So, good to James, know. What, what is the what is the longest stage you would stay awake for on the flight deck? What's the longest leg you would do before you you have to rest? Personally, four minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, the um, I think normally if, you, if 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 a leg is over, I th- most companies have different um, different agreements, but I think for, for most airlines, it's about nine hours. If it's longer than nine hours, you have an extra pilot. And if it's longer than about 12 hours, you have two extra pilots. So you do two halves. So a pilot's basically getting paid to sleep. Don't tell anyone. It's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. In your secret room. Uh, I, I, there are some <laughs> long-haul pilots that are paid to be at work asleep. You're absolutely right. Living the wow. dream. Living the dream. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. Well, I, 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 this, these, these two questions follow nicely on from from Roy's question about what you do and your answer, sleep. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm already assuming that the answer to this question is, which is, what's the most scared you've ever been whilst flying? Is waking up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also assuming the answer to this one, what's the most excited you've ever been whilst going to sleep? Uh, whilst flying is going to sleep. But maybe you can tell me if those are right. Uh, they're very close. Uh, the, 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 uh, I think the most scared I've ever been uh, was on operational service. Uh, we did some flying in Iraq, and while we were there, the uh, the helicopter I was in just flew over a, a car bomb going off. So that was uh, quite exciting. And I saw this perfect orange sphere, just it was in about football, big football size when I first saw it, just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and I could almost hear my the, the cogs in my brain going, mm, "What's that? What's that?" And then I realised it all happened quite. Seemed to happen very slowly, and then the front of the aircraft. Yeah, and got you were engulfed. awake for this one, were you? I was awake. Yeah, <laughs> that's reassuring. Uh, it certainly woke me up. Anyway, and, um, and the um, the front of the aircraft got a little bit of, uh, of damage from the from the blast. We vibrated a bit, and then went and landed in what was called the green zone in Baghdad at the time. Uh, then they started throwing mortars in, so it got a bit more interesting after that. But that was a bit was of a, a scary your moment. Was this flying your friends from Hereford around by any chance? I had some friends from Hereford who I was taking flying at the time, yeah. That's exactly right. Oh, that's good. Um, and then the most excited, did you say? The most excited you've ever been whilst flying, um, <laughs> if, if that's even a thing. I think uh, probably one of the first the first, first solo is, is such an amazing experience. Somebody thinks you're capable enough to be in an aeroplane by yourself. They get out and say, off you go, go and do it by yourself now. And that is just an incredible experience. Um, How did you manage to sleep on that flight? <laughs> Luckily, there's a bit of straight and level on the downwind leg of the circuit. So I had about uh, 
couple of minutes there. Luckily, the, uh, uh, it's the, it the only time ever I think I trimmed the aircraft out, but it was nice and in trim, so I had a little bit of a snooze and then uh, then landed it. So yeah. It's... <laughs> Oh, Jim, that's amazing. Well done. That's that's just great, James. If you if you can just stay awake for the rest of the pod, that'd be brilliant. <laughs> so we're all in lockdown in our own homes. So this really is top landing gear down and locked. But our intention is to get around the country, visiting air shows, museums, display teams, anyone linked to aviation. In fact, lined up for future podcasts, we'll be joined by the absolute legend, Flight Lieutenant Alan Pollock. I wonder if you know who he is. He is the man who flew his Hawker Hunter through Tower Bridge. Astonishing. Uh, We'll be saluting Amy Johnson in the light of her epic flight exactly 90 years ago. Uh, We'll be doing an air show special and much, much more. In fact, much of what we do do could be decided by you. If you'd like us to feature a particular aircraft, for example, just let us know. So, on to this episode's featured aircraft, and it couldn't be a more appropriate time, really, for it to be the Spitfire. The aircraft that saw this country through one of its most testing times 80 years ago has been stirring the hearts and minds again, saluting the incredible efforts of Captain, now Colonel, Tom Moore with a fly-past on his 100th birthday and helping to mark the 75th anniversary of VE Day. And Jez, I understand you've got some quick spit facts. I have. I've got um, some quick fire Spitfire facts. Uh, I could have picked hundreds, but here goes with these ones. The Spitfire was designed by RJ Mitchell at Supermarine. The first Spitfire prototype flew on the 5th of March, 1936. It could have been called the Scarab or the Shrew, but was called the Spitfire. Mitchell said it was the sort of bloody silly name they would give it. (laughs) The Spitfire served in every theatre of the Second World War and in more variants than any other British aircraft. It was powered by the Merlin and Griffin engines. The first 200 spits were ordered in March 1938, sadly nine months after Mitchell died from cancer. It is one of the first aircraft, you'll like this, to feature retractable landing gear. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Top landing gear. Try, try, try and keep up. And this caused a number of crashes as pilots used to fix gear on occasions forgot to lower it. 24 marks of Spitfire were produced, uh, plus the carrier landing Seafire, totaling around 20,350 aircraft. The Spitfire, this you'll like this one, boys. The Spitfire was originally designed as a short-range defensive fighter. Good so far. But it even carried under-wing beer kegs for troops after the D-Day landings. Later Spitfires went on to shoot down V-1 flying bombs and even the jet-powered ME-262. One of its most important roles was as a high-altitude photo reconnaissance aircraft. Around 30 Spits are still currently flying in the UK, including SM520, the twin-seat trainer operated by Boltby Flight Academy, and flown by yours truly. (laughs) (laughs) Good good facts, good facts. facts. Thank you, lads. And and James, I think it's fair to say that people talk about the Spitfire more than any other aircraft, wouldn't you say? I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the one. Iconic is a is a probably a fairly overused word, but in aviation, just the the plan form of the Spitfire, I think it it evokes something in everybody. I agree. I absolutely love the Spitfire. I think that's kind of where my you know the first love of aviation, all things flying, happened for me was like learning about the Battle of Britain as like a young boy, and you know and seeing those planes fly and just reading about them watching films about them you know uh, yeah i think they're 
Yeah, they're beautiful. Beautiful looking machine, a beautiful sounding machine. Um, uh, James, that's one of the aircraft you you haven't flown in yet. Unlike no. the Curling Brothers, yeah, we are brothers, by the way. Uh, Jez, you you had a flight in a Spitfire last year. I did a most incredible day of my life, actually. Uh, aside from the obvious childbirth. No, can we do that again? I haven't had <laughs> No, no, that's going out like that. (laughs) Okay, apart from childbirth. (laughs) And the day I was born. Good, 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 good. Okay, Uh, it was the most incredible day of my life, actually. Uh, Apart from the other things, obvious. Can we just do this again? Yeah, I'll I'll ask you the question if you like. Just, just admit it was the best day of your life. Yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, your your wife won't be listening by this stage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. lost interest. <laughs> oh, it was the greatest day of my life. Really was. It was the most emotional uh, and extraordinary day, and it was a complete and utter privilege. Are you trying to say that flying Spitfire is better than getting married or having children? <laughs> I, I'm trying to say that <laughs> that you may be stitching oh. me up here. I, yeah. I'm saying that they're very different things. <laughs> <laughs> but Jess, you you flew with uh, Boltby down on the south coast, uh, who operate out of uh, Goodwood, didn't you? I did. I flew uh, the two seat trainer um, SM five twenty. Uh, with uh, with the pilot from Boltby Jim, who was just fantastic, a guy to have up front. Boltby Jim, um, Boltby Jim, <laughs> as he as he shall be known henceforth. Uh, Boltby Jim was was a, a just Bobby a brilliant Jim. guy, um, fascinating to listen to. Put me at my ease because I, I was yeah you know, I was a little bit nervous. Um, squeezed me into the cockpit, and yes. um, uh, and that's and quite, on, a, quite a long that, that, taxi. That's, that's out. an effort in itself, isn't it? Just getting you. In well, I think I th- I thought we weren't going to go down this route just yet. Uh, I, I, so I'm going to move on. Yeah, we had a, we had a we had a great chat on the way down. A long taxi out to the runway, um, and um, uh, yeah, it, it was just incredible, an extraordinary and very moving day. Was there anything about it that surprised you? Anything that you expected that you you didn't experience from it or or vice versa? I mean, the sound inside a Spitfire, I can tell you from experience, uh, isn't (laughs) quite what you get when you're outside it. It's a stuck record. Well, let let me, uh, yeah, but not to the audience. They haven't heard this time and time again, as indeed you all have. but I actually think it's different though when you're flying it, the sound. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, quieter. Okay. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yes, when I'm flying it, yeah, that's very smooth. Yeah, yeah you missed very that controlled. one. Yeah. Yeah. From from outside, you get that lovely Merlin roar. When you're sitting behind the engine, it does sound a bit like one of your tractors, Jura. No offense it does to the Merlin sound a little, engine. No, no, it's much quieter. And um, we were obviously wearing um uh, helmet uh, and 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 earphones, so I could listen and talk to Jim. It is much quieter, but when we first, when the engine first fires up, um, with the canopy still open, uh, it's a, it, it's it's a, an incredible sound. It sends shivers down your spine. You can mm. feel the aircraft through uh, through your seat. Uh, and um, did did you I see think... the fire coming out of the exhaust as it was starting up? Did, did Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you get the 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 the, the sort of um, the, the fumes of the of the engine the exhaust. Mm. And I think um, I think the takeoff we almost passed by in a blur because it was I was in such a sort of state of excitement that I sort of you know you try and live every mo- moment of it, and the whole thing was a complete sensory overload. 
uh, but I think that once we were up and we were looking down, it was a beautiful summer's day. We flew out down the Solent, around the Isle of Wight, over the Needles, uh, back across uh, the Isle of Wight, and then we did our aerobatics um, before coming back into uh, to, to the Solent airfield. Um, I think that was sensory overload, and I was talking to Jim, and he was asking me if I wanted to take the controls, which was a real treat, uh, and I couldn't believe I was doing it. It's quite, you feel quite nervous, but also incredibly privileged just to be holding the stick and then making some sort of gentle manoeuvres. But I think it really hit me when we landed and um, I sort of clambered out of my seat, uh, took, my, took my helmet off, and Jim went very simply, well, how was that? And I was already saying, oh, mate, that was incredible. That was just the most extraordinary thing I've ever done. But I got to, mate, that was, and I literally, I couldn't speak. I, I was completely <laughs> overwhelmed. I'm not ashamed to say that I was totally choked up, actually. It was, um, I think, a combination of probably wanting to do that all my life, um, being in a Spitfire, which is, as we've said, you know, the most iconic aircraft probably in the world, um, everything it stood for, everything that uh, it did through the Battle of Britain, through the war, um, the fact that it's still flying and people, everybody knows what the Spitfire is. And the fact that I had the opportunity to do it completely overwhelmed mm. me by the time we got back on the ground. And, and Robert, you were there. You saw me. I was sort of doubled up and uh, sort of slightly... Yeah. Lar- Rather upside down, actually. It's very embarrassing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was no, blubbering there was no stiff upper lip. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to take anything from the magic of your day, Jez, but I have been to the cinema with you twice. <laughs> <laughs> we went to the Dan Masters film and the Spitfire and, film, and both times you cried. Yeah, yeah I, I will literally cry at the opening of a paper bag. That's, that's um, <laughs> I, I, I am a, I am a terribly emotional, when, but I, and just terribly sentimental, which sometimes is good yeah. and often is a real curse. But I wonder if any other aircraft can have that effect on people. Oh, I'm sure if you have a, an aircraft that you love, I mean, I, I would say the same about the Vulcan and the and and the uh, the Lancaster. I'd imagine I probably, but that I'm never going to get to go go up in one of those. And I'm sure. I mean, James has flown many different aircraft, and I'm sure Roy flew about in many ways about um, the flight he's done in his um, Cessna one seven two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not the point, is it? The point. The point, well, the point is that it's how it makes you feel and, and actually to be up and flying and presuming that's why James still wants to fly because even though he's asleep most of the time, he actually <laughs> he actually still loves Sorry, it. Sorry, is, is he waking Sorry. up? What's, what's going on? Where are we? <laughs> Nothing you need to worry about, Jim. <laughs> give him a prod. <laughs> I'll give you a virtual prod yeah. from my sitting room. James, uh, James, on, on, a, on a slightly serious note, okay. why do you think the, the Spitfire got all the accolades and the dear old Hurricane, which actually had more kills in the Battle of Britain, I think they were more numerous than the Spitfire too, really didn't get the same degree of sort of status and, and love because it's a wonderful aircraft and it's it's own. It right. I think the, um, the Spitfire, when you talk to pilots, most pilots that I've talked to, um, and including... Uh, Jim down at uh, Boltby would say it is the, one of the best handling airplanes they've ever flown. It is just so well balanced. Everything about it, particularly the the, the sort of the, the medium marks of it, um, were all fantastic. The Hurricane was from a different era. The Hurricane was effectively was not much more than a First World War aircraft. It was it was mm. wood and 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 um, canvas, uh, 
whereas the Spitfire was was pretty much all mostly metal. Um, so it, it was the, the Spitfire was that next generation. So it was the the typhoon of its day, the F thirty F thirty five of its day. So quite advanced in, when it started, um, and it's uh, yeah. I, I, but also the 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 sounds the amazing shape of the wings the, the elliptic wings and everything mm. it, it just seems to get everything right and i think we've, we've talked about this earlier but it, the old saying if it looks right it flies right and that really does look right well we um just before lockdown we went down to goodwood aerodrome which was formerly raf west hampnet down in west sussex where the bolt b flight academy is based and we met up with jim schofield the pilot for whom the spitfire is just one of over a hundred types in his logbook the Academy at Goodwood Airfield in Sussex. With us is Jim, who is the chief pilot here, Jim, and you take people on the most magnificent flights in two-seater Spitfires, don't you? We do, yeah. We fly them from uh, Leon Solent and Goodwood all through the summer and uh, also the spring and the autumn, so it's, it's a wonderful job to have. Jim, you've got over a hundred types to your name multiple hours on many of them not quite sure looking at how young you are how you've managed that but is it possible to say where the spitfire would sit in that list in terms of the favorites firstly that's very kind of you to say those (laughs) things and i'm glad it's a podcast and not tv otherwise the listeners would would uh, would work you out but um the spitfire is in the top two um, for sure. It's probably at the top of the pile, not only because of um, you know, the, the affection the British nation has for the aircraft, but just the way it flies. It's, it's an amazing machine. Um, the other aircraft that's very near the top is a German aeroplane from the 30s, I know, no. called a Booker Jungmeister, oh, yes. Yes, which yes. is just a delightful aerobatic biplane. Wow. Yeah, but um, yeah, the Spitfire probably pips it. Goodness me, I've never heard that comparison before. Well, they're two very different aeroplanes, mm. but the Jungmeister's handling is is just amazing. Something else. And and in terms of, you talk about the the love and affection the British public has for the Spitfire, mm. as do its pilots. And talking to World War Two pilots who've flown it, they all say what a beautiful machine it was to fly. Is that really the case, or has everyone just got a little bit carried away with their enthusiasm for the aeroplane? No, it really is the case. It's practically viceless in the air. Um, it has its foibles on the ground, but I'm sure we'll cover those later. <laughs> um, and it's a delight to fly. It's a very fast aeroplane, so converting height to speed and back again is effortless. Um, you just have to think your way around the sky in it, really. Can you stop it if you need to? As in slow it down, is it? Absolutely, yeah. You need to plan that. So if I'm coming back into the circuit at Goodwood, say, Mm -hmm. um, I can't just barrel in from 3,000 feet and expect to be able to be at a speed where I can put the wheels down downwind. So I need to think ahead and manage the speed, much as you do in an airline, but um, in in a different way. (laughs) Wow. Jim, all these um, these two-seaters are are Mark 9s, I think I'm right. So all converted Mark 9s. <clears throat> which it, it, it's part of the Spitfire story in, in what a brilliant airframe it was from the outset in terms of being able to develop it. Mm. I was lucky enough to, to uh, interview Alex Henshaw, one of the Spitfire yes. test pilots many years ago, and asked him what his favourite mark was. I know you've flown a few marks of Spitfire, so before I tell you what his answer was, what would your answer be? 
I've only flown the five and the nine, okay. but if you look at the development of the Spitfire, um, it started off as a almost a light aircraft, really, with a thousand or so horsepower, and it developed into a fire-breathing monster with well over two thousand horsepower. Yeah. Um, during that development, as the performance increased, the handling inevitably got a bit worse as the aircraft got heavier. So I think the knee and the curve in terms of performance and handling, people generally say it's a Mark V. Um, I've flown the five and the nine, and the five is delightful. Um, the nine is no slouch, <laughs> um, but the five just feels a little bit lighter. It's, um, it really talks to you. I'm just trying to look at my notes to see what... I think he said almost exactly the same thing, actually. Uh, it was well, the that's Mark, lucky. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you passed the test. It was the Mark V with the 25 boost engine, oh, whatever that means. Fine. Yeah. He said the lighter and the more power, the better it is. I'll buy that. <laughs> if a Mark 14 flew against a Mark 1, Mark 2, mm. who would win? The Mark II would outturn the 14 yeah. because it's got this pretty much the same wing or exactly the same wing and less weight. Yeah. So you, can, you can turn better. But the 14 would, would have the thrust. So they would want to fight in a very different way. Yeah. The, the, the earlier version would, would want to have a turning fight mm -hmm. and the 14 would yeah, have slashing attacks and taking it vertical a lot. Uh, the 14 would probably win. Well, that is just a snippet of our conversation with Jim Schofield, Chief Pilot down at Boltby. Uh, he's an absolute mine of information and a really, really lovely bloke. He tells us about his incredible career, including being a test pilot for the F-35 and loads more about flying the Spitfire. That comes out in top landing gear, full flaps, which comes out a week after this program, the magazine program. If you want to get it, make sure you subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts and never miss an episode. Now then, just before we go, we have to have our quiz. Now, I don't know if I told you before, I used to be a quiz show host back in the uh, early days of colour television on BBC <laughs> One. Um, the quiz was called Turnabout. <laughs> very, very popular. We, we got a lot of viewers. Actually, we, we picked up all the viewers from neighbours who couldn't be bothered to get up and turn the TV off or change channels because it was it was before, really, the invention of remote controls. So anyway, we are going to have our own Spitfire quiz and listen out for a little reference to Turnabout. Let's just hear everybody's buzzers. First of all, Jez, starting with you. How's that, <laughs> yeah, that, that? That'll do. That'll do nicely. Uh, James Gartner. 1,005. No. Do that again. Start again. What's no, the wrong one? Is that, is that your alarm <laughs> for waking up? <laughs> start again. It's not gone well. <laughs> good, good. All right. And Roy, what have you got? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's more quizzy. Right, good, good luck, lads. Uh, just five or so questions. Let's just see how much you remember from Jera's startling fact. Who was the first Spitfire test pilot? Who was the first Spitfire test pilot? Jez. Mutt Summers. Well done. Uh, correct what first name. name? Full first name? It's funny, Muttley. we can see each other. We can see each other. And Jez's look of smugness <laughs> is almost unbearable, but he can't give us the first name. Muttley. It's Joseph. Joseph. Joseph oh. Mutt Summers. Oh. Right, second question. In which conflict did Spitfires take on enemy Spitfires? 
This actually happened. James Cartner. The Second World War. Incorrect. Well, if it had been the Second World War, which Spitfires would be attacking Spitfires? By mistake, attacking themselves. Which two sides? There must have been a blue on blue between Spitfires <laughs> at some stage during the Second World War. So, no, that's not the answer here. There was a, a genuine conflict after the Second World War where Spitfires were on each side, each opposing side. I'm going to guess it was against India. Uh, yeah. No, and you've had your turn. You've had your turn. This is really annoying uh, because I actually had this as a fact, which I wrote down and then decided not to put in my quick fire, fun, <laughs> fascinating but fact. Wait, yeah, I can't and remember you what the answer to is. Forget it. <laughs> that's, that's unbelievable because it's really quite interesting. It is, it? yeah. But there were so many flipping facts that I had to choose. I've forgotten that. It was okay. Middle East. It was the Arab-Israeli War of 1948. That's Israel and Egypt. Fifty-nine. That's right. It is. 59 Spitfire Mark 19s were bought by Israel and uh, 37 Mark 9s were bought by Egypt from retired RAF stocks. So there we are. Spitfire on Spitfire, 1948, the Arab-Israeli war. No points. In fact, a point away from Jez because he had that fact and couldn't remember it. (laughs) That's harsh. That means I've got no points. Yep. That is correct, yeah. but neither is anyone else. Well. So yes, neither is anyone else. Uh, question number three: When and what was the Spitfire's last operational RAF sortie? Uh, that's James. I'm going to say out of RAF Benson, a photo reconnaissance sortie of somewhere in Russia. RAF Benson, where you were uh, based with yeah, your pumas. And there was a big. Mm-hmm. Uh, what sort of what sort of year would that have been, James? Sixty nine, seventy. RAF Spitfire. Yeah. No, James. No, no, you're way off. No, Jim. That's. Rubbish. I thought it didn't. Fifty six, wasn't it? The last. Fifty four. You, Jeremy, Jez, uh, right? You're cheating. You're looking at your. <laughs> <laughs> He's looking at his notes. Well, uh, oh, dear, uh, oh, dear, oh, dear. Right, right. You're disqualified, bro. Right. <laughs> right. I, I don't know. I, I remember, I thought it was 54 <laughs> that it got decommissioned out of yeah. the RAF. Well done. Uh, yeah, I don't know what Well, the you're, you're spot was. on, Roy. And you mentioned Malaya a few moments ago, which was yeah. actually double points because it's where I was born. So I'm very fond <laughs> of that fact. It was actually Malaya. And uh, it was first uh, of April, nineteen fifty-four. It was a photo reconnaissance mission uh, with a PR Mark nineteen, based at RAF Selatar in Singapore. And Jeremy, maybe you can give us this one. That was its last RAF sortie. What about its last offensive mission? So that would have predated the photo reconnaissance. The last time it was playing. actually used in anger. Anymore. Oh, Mister Selko. <laughs> right, anyone else? <laughs> he was like this as a baby. <laughs> When he was growing up. Is it, are we talking about RAF Spitfire? Yes, RAF Spitfire. Absolutely. RAF Spitfire. Uh, it would predate 1954. It was after uh, the 1948 thing with the Arab-Israeli war. So RAF sortie actually used in anger. Still the 50s. Aiden. No, mate. Aiden, no. It's a good, good try. Uh, actually, it's back in Malaya still. It was 1951, it 60 Squadron. Are these questions well, about mainly the Malaya? Are these, is this like a Malaya round? Well, that's, that, that's, that's, the, that's the end of Malaya. 
<laughs> which became Malaysia, of course, of course in 1963. Uh, film question. Of the 27 Spitfires that were used in the film The Battle of Britain, how many actually flew? <laughs> yes, Roy, you were first with your hooter. 12. 12 is the right oh, answer. How hey. you know? <laughs> was that a guess or did you know? I, that was, no, I actually know that. Uh, yeah, 12 Spitfires, only three Hurricanes uh, flying. Um, and But unfortunately, uh, I mean, the Spitfires being used in 1940 were all Mark 1s and Mark 2s. There was only one Mark 1 and one Mark 2 airworthy for the film. So uh, in the film, it was seven other different Marks were used, which you can spot, but it doesn't spoil it. In Spitfire folklore, what is Margaret Horton famous for? What is Margaret Horton famous for? James Garner. She went for a ride on the Spitfire on the tail uh, when she was supposed uh, to be hanging on for taxiing because it was windy. Absolutely right. You're spot on. She was lying on the tailplane to act as ballast for taxiing in uh, windy conditions. But the pilot, Flight Lieutenant Neil Cox, DFC, I imagine that might have come afterwards, <laughs> uh, didn't, <laughs> didn't realise that she hadn't dismounted when he started his takeoff run. So they did a circuit. And that very Spitfire, <laughs> Mark 5B, is AB910, which is currently with the BBMF. So that Spitfire still exists. So that completes a rather trying quiz. Uh, it was a bit of a struggle. Uh, Jez ends up with the minus 19 points, which is a great shame. Um, <laughs> cheating really didn't benefit you at all. Uh, James finished up with zero. Um, you got one right, but we had to disqualify you for being the expert and not getting any more. But our winner with 26 points was... <laughs> it was all worthwhile, this podcast. Heard about... <laughs> What's your prize, Roy? Do you get to go to one of your own concerts? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much, everybody, and thanks for listening. And if you haven't already done so, please do subscribe. It's completely free, and if you could leave us a review as well, that would be fantastic. And do get in touch with us with those questions for Ask James and, indeed, any suggestions of subjects for future episodes. And remember, Jim Schofield's full interview will be available once the main episode has been up and running for a week. So depending on when you're listening, it may be there right now. And if you haven't heard our pilot pod and the wonderful interview with Concord Captain John Hutchinson, that's all there for you to listen to at your... Li- <laughs> at your leisure. At your leisure. Is that the last word? Sorry, Jim. It wasn't very difficult. <laughs> that was yes. my very last word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Should, uh... <laughs> I think we should just end it. Right? Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. You can find Top Landing Gear on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter. We've even got a website, toplandinggear.com, and an email, info at toplandinggear.com. Uh, We will see you for episode two. Well done, James. Very good. Happy? Very, very good. So much better than the rambling. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I'm only chippy because I got minus 19. Well, it's your your own point for cheating. I'm absolutely appalled. Where where did I tell mum? (laughs) 